just try to speak on this? Oh, don't you know? All right, welcome to the Beyond Green podcast. My name is Seven Host, and I'm here with Darren Kaster. Howdy. Of the Green Majority. So, that was The Mighty Rhino, a Toronto-based artist, actually. Cool guy. Why not? Talk to him on Twitter. Seems nice. Today, we're talking about Generation Screwed. Uh, we're going to have Power Bar on, talking about another presentation from the Beyond Green Conference next week. Thank you again to Nicole for, from Green Student for being on last week. But today's episode is about a, a thing that I've been interested in for a long time, which I guess I should say less interested and more generally annoyed with for a long time. There you go. Which is the need, it seems, to sort of lump our generation into all of these weird stereotypes of being either screwed or... Or lazy, and or you know, not with it, or entitled. There's all these different things that get thrown around about about the generation of current current young-ish people, mm-hmm. uh, and all of it annoys me. So what we're gonna do first, actually, is we're gonna play a bit from CBC had a recent thing called Generation Screwed, which sort of led us to this this talk. Uh, so was, here's me about two two and a half minutes of their sort of stats about our generation, and then we'll come back and we'll talk about it. So here's that. Well, they say figures don't lie, so try these on for size. 42% of young adults aged 20 to 29 are living with their parents. That's one-third more than a generation ago. Young people are waiting longer to get married. 29 for women, 31 for men. The highest averages ever. Women, on average, are waiting until they're 30 before having their first child. Why this failure to launch, as it's being called? The simple answer is jobs, jobs, jobs. Look at these depressing stats. The unemployment rate for Canadians 15 to 24 was 11% in the summer of 2008, 16.4% a year later, 14.1% at the end of last year. That's a lot of kids with no jobs, many with significant student debt. Stats Canada pegs average student debt at close to $20,000. All this leads to lots of questions. My biggest economic concern would be paying back my student loans. Getting a job in the first place is is sort of daunting. Are many young people caught in a trap today where an intense and expensive education guarantees nothing? Will they ever pay off their student debt? Is home ownership rapidly becoming a thing of the past? Are marriage and family simply out of reach? Sounds over the top, but for many young people, it's the bottom line. Good questions, time for some answers. Okay, so first I want to open the floor up uh, to, to Darren to give us your thoughts on Generation Screwed. My thoughts on that are, I mean, first of all, that I hate the concept of discussing stuff in that sort of generation concept, uh, just because I, I, it's, it's sort of always sort of framed, it has to, it has to almost by definition be framed by the generation ahead of it. And there's no clear demarcation of where generations are. It's not like anything before 82 is this and after 82 is that. Now people will say things like that, but that's, it's just like, it's an arbitrary grouping, right? There's no reason to say it couldn't be 84 to 91 or like, and, and I do, I do realize there's like a, some math reason for those numbers, but like when you start sort of making, you know, you can't make generalizations 
And, and I think that's taking it to the point where you're sort of making silly general, generalizations, A. So you're sort of trying to group that many people into a generalized description is just silly. Mm. And I think it's also silly in the sense that uh, it's generally, as I was saying, it's sort of, sort of phrased by the generation before it. So, of, of course, the older people are always going to think the younger people are lazy or whatever. It's I, I just think it's a, it's a largely useless way to talk about a problem. Uh, the way in which, however, I won't cop out as usual on it completely, taking it for a, for a moment that I don't like sort of that way about speaking about the problem, uh, I think that for a large group of people that I don't want to refer to as a generation, uh, but for a, a, an age range of people, there's certainly the the reality of what they're talking about, which is that, yes, that a lot of these shifts, cultural shifts, are happening over time. Uh, and and I think that does have a massive impact, I mean, on people's ability to... Uh, one of the biggest impacts is people's ability to uh, talk about social change at all. And this is something that I've heard in a number of the other podcasts that I've been listening to recently that I'm talking about, uh, the unemployment of youth. Uh, what effectively you have is that the older people generally tend to sort of be more sort of established in the way that they like to do things. So while they may be concerned about problems and sorts of things, they're generally not uh, as likely to be as motivated to do something about them, uh, despite having, in some cases, when you get to the sort of the higher end of that age range, the more seasoned end of that age range, um, is there can be some of them that have the most free time and be the most active. You can get some of those, you know, any environmental meeting you go to, there's generally one or two people who are in the retiree age range, and they tend to they tend to know a lot about what they're talking about, and they tend to be very active, but they're very, very, very few and far between, considering how many people of that age range should have the free time to sort of participate with that sort of thing. So I don't I don't necessarily think it's a very useful way of talking about it. Uh, but what it does do is it it locks in those younger people because they're so desperately trying to pay off their as they discuss their twenty thousand dollar average student loan. They're generally living in their parents' basements uh, longer for financial reasons. Um, you know. Uh, it's not that old thing about, oh, you still live at home because you're a loser. It's because you have to. Yeah. And I think I think it's genuinely a v extremely, extremely legitimate point to say the reason why we have so many people who are interested in a social sense, if you pay attention to to, to social media, um, you see so much, way more information about social issues coming up than even used to. You even would 10 years ago, just based on my own assessment mm -hmm. of, you know, it used to be the, the proportion of causes versus kitten videos uh, seems to have shifted. And, and I don't even, and the vast majority of my Facebook friends and other social network friends are not environment people. So that's right. not simply a symptom of things. It just, my analysis of sort of society, young people within my rough age range has been that social issues are very, very, very important. But I think a lot of the reason why they're coming out is because people have less and less and less time to actually do anything about it. So it's sort of like whether or not you want to discuss it as an actual sort of conspiracy, it could almost be viewed as the effect is that it prevents the people that are being harmed by the way things are from doing anything to change that system. And I think that's the number one problem. If we, if people who cared about these things had the time to actually do something about them because they weren't so terrified about actually having somewhere to sleep that night or something they could eat for breakfast and in a way they were going to pay off their $20,000 loan, then you might see a lot of, you, you might, I, I, I assert that you would see significantly more action on a variety of social issues, particularly the environment. Cool. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's an excellent one. I, I want to expand off the idea of of older generations or how this is always portrayed. Is the generations are basically judging current people's lives as a extension of their own. They're imagining themselves back when uh, as we are now, and then saying these were the values I valued then. They're not getting the same values. They're not getting the same return on their values as I would expect. I have two big thoughts on this, and I want to get into that, but I want to first mention the idea of that, uh, uh, just repeat what you were saying a little bit, 
you really are seeing an increased social inequality. You really are seeing the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. And these are serious issues that need to be addressed. And I, what I'm going to say after this it does not stop that from being true. <laughs> There's a definite need for a coming to the center. The rich can't be being as rich as they are. The poor can't be being as poor as they are. You can't expect someone to get their first real job at 30 after working for free for 10 years. These are not sustainable ways of living. You can't have $80,000 of school debt, which is typical in the United States, um, and expect anything but, I will work any job for any wage I can get. And that's not a way to run a country. Uh, so I want to first acknowledge the severe, severe problems that exist in our current financial system and the way that, to some extent, I do agree that our, that our generation is at a worse-off scenario. But what I also want to get to... And what I think what, what really bothered me about a lot of the responses to this Generation Screw report, I really felt like, I really want to say, yes, we're not in the 1950s anymore. That's true. Let's stop thinking that the 1950s life is what makes a life. Mm-hmm. Let's just get rid of that entirely. The fact that people are getting married average age 29 31 is not an example of social fabric breaking down. It's an example of people are more willing to understand the realities of relationships. Well, and, and I don't want to cut you off, but yeah, just to sure. add to, to hammer that point mm-hmm. home, the audience he's talking to mm-hmm. is the older audience. Yeah. Nobody, in the, nobody in the generation that he's talking about would immediately automatically recognize their situation as being abnormal because mm-hmm. that's been their reality, yeah. right? And so the people who look at those numbers and go, wow, that's shocking. That's not shocking. to Everybody no. who's in that age range knows that. That's our reality, right? Yeah. And so the people who would be shocked by that information are the are is that older generation. Yeah. It's the people that grew up with Peter Mansbridge. Yeah. You know, and it's being like, wow, can you see how things have changed? And and I think what sort of what you're identifying is that they're talking about that as that like that 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 their mentality from their generation is the standard by which we should all be living. Yeah. And the amount to which it differs from that is the amount to which society has gone awry. Mm-hmm. Is kind of the thing. And I think that while they're making some good points about the inequality and about the accessibility of education and all those things, that you can't properly assess them by the measurement of this outdated standard. They're still wrong, mm-hmm. but we're measuring them to the wrong standard, which is what you were saying. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, like, uh, you, could, you could play this game as many ways you want. Picture someone in the 1920s saying, to the 1950s people saying, like, is this generation screwed? Their average plot that size damn of rock land, music, right? Like, well, exactly. <laughs> no, not only does that damn rock, but like you could you can make it seem like if you if you judge someone living in the 1950s as in as you would in the early 1900s or 1800s of you know average plots of land size are decreasing. Housing prices in big cities is is going up, skyrocketing, skyrocketing. Uh, you know, you should be able to buy a house for twelve thousand dollars. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like you can make it seem worse in every time. If like if you're constantly judging what's happening now on what happened 30, 40 years ago, is going to get you a lot of things that can make it seem wrong, or it's because because it is different, and that's the fact. And what so what really to get back to what really bothered me about this idea was the fact that a lot of the responses were things like, everyone should go to Alberta to get jobs there, because that's where the jobs are. And this idea that a job... I understand that if you're $20,000 in debt, you need a job. But the solution for all of us can't be to continue what the 1950s did, because we're, as environmentalists, we know that's going to fuck us over. So to have someone come out and say, 
this is, we need jobs. And our jobs are available in Alberta, and you should come to Alberta to get jobs. And then if you come to Alberta and get jobs, then Generation Screwed will now be Generation Prosperous and will continue on as if nothing happened. And what bothers me so much about that is that if that's how Generation Screwed, us, reacts to the problem, the next generation is going to be called Generation Underwater. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, great. Like, we're, if we're screwed, what can you call the next people? We're screwed in an understanding of the 1950s sense. They'll be screwed in an understanding of any sense. It's, it reminds me of the uh, comment I posted, uh, the Kevin quote of the week on our, on mm. our Twitter and it was uh, he was saying is like you know all the all the adjectives that were being used about Rob Ford about you know travesty and devastation and all these like really really strong language, and it, and his comment that I posted as the Kevin Farmer clip of the week mm. uh, was what adjectives will be left when all the pollinators die, mm. and the only person who commented was a friend of the a friend of the show Don Ryan who who commented unexpected <laughs> was the only adjective left to describe so perhaps generation unexpected ah, there we go. <laughs> who knows but yeah it's it's as if people are refusing to understand that our society as we stand today and as we live today um it goes to go back to our philosophy episode we're not accepting it's dead in fact we're not not only not accepting it's dead it's we're standing here above its dead body and being like man that guy's how to help the, how to help this guy over here. His sort of you know he's got a job and everything. It's like it's like in those cheesy horror movies when like someone's head has been decapitated and is on the other side of the room and the friend still runs over and checks their pulse. Yeah, like he's fucking dead, man. <laughs> like just let him. He's fucking dead. We gotta get. We gotta move on and worry about ourselves. His yeah. fucking head's on the floor. <laughs> but I wanted to, so what I was what I was about to interrupt oh, right, you sure. with that and I let you finish was mm. just that, like what there's two things that are flawed with that mm. because the. the the whole idea of the solution to you not having enough money is a job is one that seems to make sense as a sentence. Mm. It doesn't at all make sense if you actually understand how things are working. Mm. Because what that's saying is there's an implication there that's critical that I think a lot of people, not a lot of people part of the environment movement, but a lot of the general public is going to miss mm. about that, which is that there's been a successful campaign that there's only one way to get jobs is to associate this is where the jobs are. If you want a job, you go and do this. And if you don't want a job, you don't. Mm. And that has been the biggest failure of every opposition party to successfully make that message was, was that they've let. And again, this is where I have to give my thousandth reminder that we're not a political show. We're criticizing the party that happens to be in power because they're the party that happens to be in power. This isn't about right or left, Mm. but the current party has say the current conservative government has, successfully can convince Canadians that oil sands equals jobs mm. and that if you're against oil sands, you're against jobs. And Hey, if you have any complaints about your student loan, well then get a job, you lazy bum. And it's like, it's the Rob Ford strategy. It's, this isn't working. So the solution is to double down on it. Mm. And so a, it's a, those types of jobs got us into this mess in the first place. But now you could still say, well, okay, that may be true, but we need to have jobs. The world's biggest lie is separating that though. Mm. Is that not only can you get jobs from other areas, you get jobs from wherever you invest in. Mm. You're choosing, this isn't about jobs versus no jobs, which is how the conservatives have successfully marketed this idea. It's a fucking lie. And it's a lie that pisses me the fuck off. Uh, which is that not only are there, is that not the only way to get jobs, they're worse jobs. Uh, study after study have come out showing that you make more money, there's more economic benefit, more local economic 
economic benefit, more jobs created, and more valuable jobs created by the renewable energy industry. If you only want to talk about that sector, and there are other sectors, R&D, technology, all sorts of things that Canada is an extremely well-placed as an area with a very, very high income and very low population relative to its income, we have an amazing opportunity to be massive contributors to the global R&D effort to solve this problem, which, by the way, creates millions of fucking jobs. And I didn't make this number up this time, as <laughs> I sometimes do. Literally millions of jobs. There have been study after study after study, and, the, it, and it's just a fucking lie. It's a lie. And, and it's a lie that needs to be screamed from the bell towers, and I don't understand why any of the opposition parties haven't successfully made this argument where they've let the conservatives control the message that they seem to be admitting that the best jobs are all in the oil sands, but we're going to, we have other reasons why you should vote for us. But if you want jobs and you want the oil sands, yeah, the conservatives probably are the people you want to vote for. That's what the effect of the Canadian voting public has been. And it's a fucking lie. They need to be hammering home. We have better jobs. Mm. We have more jobs. We have better jobs. That's what the message should be. And it's true, and it's backed by evidence, and it drives me fucking nuts that nobody seems to even be bothering to try and make that case. Capitalism is the greatest example of cognitive dissonance, or it can create such cognitive dissonance within people that it's just absolutely amazing. Like, what what I'm getting at is there's this age-old understanding of creating a need. And how a lot of different companies won't be servicing an already existing need. They'll create a need and then they will fill it. And that is an understandable way to make money in the capitalist system. Uh, which is literally quite obviously creating jobs. A, a practical example just for, for mm-hmm. people following along at home would be the smartphones. Yeah. There, there was a, a need for those things, but nobody thought that they needed to carry around a personal computer everywhere they went with a touchscreen. But now that this is a product that exists, now you sort of need it. You've created it where you almost have to have one to be effective at certain things. And you technically can do all of those things without this product, but by this product's existence, you almost have to uh, pick it up in some manner. So that would be a example. Yeah, another example, example I always go to is teeth whitening. Yes. Like 20 years ago, that wasn't a product. They break, and then, they just bombarded you with a bunch of, with, with tons and tons and tons and tons and tons of, of advertisements saying things like, are your teeth not white enough? Are your teeth not white enough? Are your teeth not white enough? And eventually someone's like, shit, should my teeth be white? And then they go and buy the products. Another, I, another one, yes, I saw a documentary about Big Pharma, and it was hmm. that whole thing about the, the rise of, uh, um, uh, antidepressants and stuff like that, and about how sort of general mental health hasn't changed, but the use of antidepressant and antipsychotic and mood-altering medication has, like, gone up, like, 800% right. over the last, like, 30 years. Yeah. And and yet, general mental stability hasn't changed, just right. because a massive, successful thing about, are you feeling depressed? Are you sad? Do you have too many bills? Does it make you cry yourself to sleep at night? And it's like, well, everybody has those feelings sometimes, but they went, oh, I have those symptoms. I must be sick. Mm-hmm. I must need your product. Completely other example yeah. of manufactured need. Exactly, yeah. Uh, as a quick aside on the idea of that one last thing, go outside. It's proven. It's going outside <laughs> is enough. Go outside, get exercise. Two most, the best ways to fight a lot of those, a lot of like depression feelings. It's been science of studies. But to go back to the cognitive dissidents, is here, so there's a huge part of capitalism that understands that you can create a need, you can create jobs, you can create a market. And then there's an entire other side of capitalism, or not say of capitalism, but in capitalism. capitalism, Of the market. Of the market, which says, we have the jobs, so if you are against us, you're against jobs. Mm -hmm. And those can't be 
those those exist in the same marketplace. The exact same marketplace. I'm sure Often the same companies. Exactly. <laughs> when you understand that, when you look at that, it sort of becomes like, oh, I see what they're doing. They just want to keep what's making them money and what they're good at, and that's what, what they're doing here by sort of creating this false dichotomy among these two things. And one of the things I absolutely loved about a article recently that was sent, uh, that I sent to you actually, and you posted, uh, Joe Heath had a mm-hmm. unbelievably good, just absolutely tear the fuck out of, uh, the Harbor government's climate stuff. I'll, I'll post it under this, under this podcast. Was a bit about, he had a bit about a carbon tax. And what it, this bit about a carbon tax, I think, is what, it got to the underlying hilarity of capitalism, which is that it's all a farce to some degree. I'm not saying that as an anti-capitalist. Well, the super short way to even make that thing is that the, the capitalism actually is, an, is is the best system total. Right. The reason it isn't now is because we don't have capital. We right. don't have actual capitalism. Right. We have crony capitalism. We have corrupt capitalism, mm-hmm. which, again, if you've even taken first year economics, you can immediately see. And in, in fact, sometimes that's my problem with economic students <laughs> was they've taken so many classes that require you to have drank that Kool-Aid mm-hmm. that by the time they get their graduate's degree, they've forgotten about a lot of those basic assumptions, mm-hmm. which is where I got into this guy with, a, uh, again, I'm not sort of trying to overinflate yeah. my own sounding of how smart I think <laughs> I am or anything like that. Right. But this actually happened. I got into a, an argument with someone who had just recently finished an economics degree from Harvard. Mm-hmm. They knew what the hell they were talking about. Mm-hmm. Within 30 minutes, I had the guy scratching his head because I all I did was I took some of the basic concepts out of first-year economics and said, D- aren't these contradictory? Mm-hmm. And they didn't have an answer. Right. This is a Harvard graduate economics student, yeah. and they didn't have an answer. Uh, and, a, and a lot of it is, is, is that, is that there is a, there isn't a sense uh, of cultishness to that, which is that you have to make certain assumptions. And those assumptions, if they were true, mm. everything would largely work out the way that economists say, mm. say that it do. But the thing is, those basic assumptions that you require don't work. Like, right. be, for instance, if your basic assumption is that water is flammable, then... You can light a lake on fire. Right. But if you go down and you hold your lighter to the water and nothing happens, yeah, you don't say that economics is broken. It's nothing wrong with economics. Right. It's that you input bad information. It's mm-hmm. just like in our Tom Rand. He's like, you, then you take smart climate models and you plug them into stupid economic models. Right. They, they become useless, which is why Don Lomberg's stuff is all nonsense. Right. right? Uh, but it's, it, <laughs> it's that case of concept that capitalism is actually a really, really, really good idea. Mm-hmm. We just don't have it. Right. And I think that's something that I like never gets brought up that oh, yeah. I really want to emphasize was mm-hmm. on paper, capitalism is great. Mm-hmm. I want actual capitalism. Yeah. I want actual competition. I want actual freedom in the marketplace. Mm-hmm. I actually want consumers to be able to decide what types of products we're consuming. We do not have that. Yeah. That's the lie. Right. right. And that's the lie about, oh, if you're against this system, same thing you were bringing up mm-hmm. before. If you're against the system, you're against capitalism. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's fucking bullshit. Right. I'm the most for capitalism person you've ever met. We just don't have it. Right. We're not currently existing in it. We've never had it, and it's getting farther away from capitalism all the time. Yeah, uh, yeah, I think it's a great point. That sort of that does that ties directly into this idea of of what Joe he said in this article that I that I brought up, which was during COP nineteen, I believe our environment minister is named Aglukuk. I could have butchered her name there, uh, but our environment minister, our federal environment minister, was went to COP nineteen, and one of the things she said there was that a carbon tax would raise the price on all goods in Canada. And I love Joe Heath's line about this, which was basically that if you raise the price of all goods, nothing's happened. Because if all goods cost more money, then just, we just, now everything costs more money, everyone makes more money, and it's, because money is just, like, he sort of brought it down to the one level before sort of these assumptions economics makes, which is that money isn't anything. 
Money is a way to transfer goods. So if you increase the price of every single thing in your country, no one is hurt. Practical example of what Stefan's talking about would be is that if an apple costs a dollar and you pay a dollar for it, but they raise the price of the apple to ten dollars, mm-hmm. that's inflation. But if they also raise the value of currency so that a dollar is worth ten dollars, so that dollar is a do- now you're paying a dollar for a dollar apple or you're paying ten dollars for a ten dollar apple, but you earned the ten dollars in the same amount of time you earned the dollar, mm-hmm. effectively nothing has changed. Exactly. That's what you're talking about. Yeah. And if you do if you say, okay, well, what I meant was raise the cost of all goods but wages, mm-hmm. that's called inflation. Yeah. That's something else. And the economic system is also designed to manage inflation. Mm. We can do things to the system to account for that. The government changes inflation rates for its own purposes mm. all of the time. This isn't like going back and rewriting our constitution. This is something that happens on a fucking daily basis. Mm. It's not mind-blowing, or j- nor would it destroy the system. Or mm. It's not even that big a change. It really isn't. Mm. Yeah, the, ar- the immediate economist argument I, ha- I have in my head about if everything raised a bunch of money in just Canada, is that then your value on the international dollars sort of, it would be difficult. But but, but he wasn't, Toyeth wasn't trying to get at the idea of, the actual real idea of raising the price of everything. His point was largely that that's not, is an argument that doesn't make any sense, basically. it was She was making an argument that just did not make any sense and was not an effective way to argue for or against, in this case, a carbon tax. Because, a, a new, because basically everyone understands that quick side on carbon taxes. Basically, everyone understands that any carbon tax that was implemented would have to be a revenue-neutral carbon tax, in that so no one, the society would not be paying any more money. It's just who was paying would be shifted, and why they were paying would be shifted. Absolutely. Uh, which, and in fact, we did a full episode on my radio show on uh, carbon tax recently, right. and that link will also be below the ah, video. Excellent. Yeah, so check that out as well. Um, but so to get back, all the way back to where we sort of left this idea of generation screwed, is that we are screwed if we understand how we live in the sort of terms of the 1950s. If our goal is to move to a suburb and live and drive two cars with two and a half children, I think is the number, mm-hmm. and live like the 1950s, some people can do that. But that's not the reality we face anymore. That's not the way... And if we do do that, as I said earlier, the next generation after us is... Like, we can't have... We can't keep naming generations for how worse off they are. Right? I, maybe maybe later on in this... In Peter Manchin's sort of show, they discussed why we might necessarily be in the situation in which we're generation screwed. Which is, oh, I don't know. Your generation sort of set up the system, which now has us where we are now. And basically what you're now advocating for is, are we not going to be able to even do that? Like, if we can't do what you guys did, which screwed over us, then how will we screw over our next generation? Which I think is, you know, which is ridiculous. So, what I find most annoying about Generation Screw, and what I think that's wrong, is the idea that we cannot keep living in the society that is portrayed uh, as what is expected anymore. It just can't. We can't. We, like, if home ownership is dead, good. Maybe. Like, 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 I don't want, I don't want a bunch of cor- rich corporations to basically be raising my, control my rent. I like people to be able to own their own house and stuff, or at least their own building. But the idea of moving out to the suburbs to own your own house with a white picket fence is not a sustainable idea. You can't just keep moving out. Density is going to have to happen. Density is required, and density is a good thing. What confuses me so much about a lot, about a lot of people is, a lot of people are really against the idea of density. Because I think it creates crime or is dangerous or, and there's obviously pockets of that. But density is what gave us the society we have now today. Density is what gave us capitalism. The first understanding of market-based economies was when people in towns came together to live in one town where basically you didn't have to be always a farmer anymore. You could actually do something else like make shoes 
and then sell them to the farmers. Density created that. Density has always been the source of innovation. And, and consequently, we're actually living in the time right now um, mm. where the I don't remember the actual passing date. I don't know if we're, if it's still coming up or not. Um, but where fifty percent of the world's population lives in cities, right? Yeah, that's a massive milestone. That's a very, very, very significant mm. number. Yeah, and it's and it's and it's really only going to go up. And so, like that kind of idea. I actually really like the idea of basically the only people who don't live in cities being the people we pay lots and lots and lots and lots of good money to for a very good living to make really healthy food for us that we eat locally. Yeah. Exactly. And everybody else lives in a city so that we can turn most of our space back to to wild. Yeah. There, I said it. That's my super crazy, you know, no, fascist <laughs> green sort of far left wing idea. Yeah. If you want to start comparing extremists, you yeah. Know. Getting yeah, exactly. everybody into a city and getting everybody into hyper-localized, sustainable areas so that basically we're, we're confining the amount of space that the human race takes up as a, as a land area. In addition to our impact, I think, physical thing, that would be sort of my shining house on the hill. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Yeah, for sure. Just as an aside. Yeah, no, it's, a, it's one of those things that you should at least hopefully see a shift to, especially with things like green belts, which already exist. It's like gay marriage and legalizing pot. It'll happen eventually. It's just a matter of how long. <laughs> Well, we, yeah, those two... The yeah, first on a global level, I mean. Right, Obviously, exactly. in Canada, we're pretty far ahead on both those issues. <laughs> yeah, the first two will happen and it'll be good. This one could happen, might be too late. Could happen, might be too late. Also, might not necessarily... Like, there's a lot of maybes when it gets yes. to that, right? Yeah. I, I was even going to throw in an asterisk when you said mm. uh, that, of, that, of course, there's an asterisk next to when you say density is always better, isn't it? Right. Obviously, not always better, but yeah. in most cases, in most times, yeah. as a general concept, density is well. a good thing. Yeah, it has to be done properly. There has like, like, and of course, when we're talking about density. There has to be obviously density of the footprint too. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's no good to have a hundred million people in a city that's only four kilometers wide, mm-hmm. but the resources required to power that city is the size of an entire continent. Yeah, it's a it's a complicated issue. Yeah. But at a, at a macro level, you're you're definitely yes, correct. Yes, exactly. Yeah, there's there's no there's no there's a lot of good things that come from density that we will need and we shouldn't. I think. Because, I don't know, I, I, I would be interested to know if this is different in a European perspective. So, if there are any Europeans who happen to listen to this podcast, A, let us know. I'd be interested to know. That'd be awesome. But B, I want to know if this is a Western, uh, like, a, not Western, a North American understanding of sort of how things work, or if this is sort of a people thing, and I don't actually, I don't actually know the difference. I don't mm. actually know. There's this calling back to the good old days, and sort of there's this complete glorification of the rural life and like the good people who live in rural life, the Can- Canadian uh, obsession with cottages, cottage exactly. Life. Yeah, like like cottage living um, or just small town America. You know, real America, mm-hmm. the like, heartland. Yeah, exactly. I put heart, I put air quotes in real for real America. Nobody can see your hands. No one can see my hands. I know. Uh, <laughs> like you showing your tattoo off earlier. Ah, touche. Um, but. And I don't know whether or not that's a thing because of we're frontier countries, basically. People came here and there was always more space. And it's, everyone started off being quite, having a ton of space and sort of always could expand, always could expand, always could expand. And so the idea that now we no longer can expand and must actually start contracting a little bit and leaving some space to be wild is a completely, completely lost thought on, on, on many of, many of us and many of the people who sort of understand how Canada and states works. Well, I think I think that plays in a lot of to Canadians' sort of environmental, um, uh, just the, sort of the mindset there. The, I'm missing the right word, but just the sort of general mentality about it, which was that we in Canada do have sort of a cultural understanding of having t- way more than we need. Mm. 
uh, as far as resources. And historically, that's why we've been very generous in, in sort of, a, you know, lending out peace, uh, peacekeeping. We're sort of legendary as sort of one of the initial large peacekeepers. Of course, we've since lost that reputation. But, you know, we have a very proud heritage of, of helping other mm-hmm. countries. And But part of that is very much sort of this general sense that Canadians, that there's a ton of space and not very many of us. Mm-hmm. And that creates two things. That creates a a general concept in the minds of Canadians that when we talk about running out of resources, that there's just sort of an instinctual that couldn't possibly be true. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the other thing was that, and I think it also creates a situation where, you know, people talk about you know, uh, environmental damage to Toronto. People go, okay, that's a dense area. That's where I live. But if they say, you know, there was an oil spill in northern Alberta, people are like, well, what's up there anyway? There's no humans to bother anyway. And I think it, I, I think that really plays into sort of, you know, Canadians generally have a general sort of connection with nature in this sort of the sense that we sort of have a cultural identity around vast open spaces and wilderness and nature. But we don't actually go there. <laughs> and we don't actually do that. And, and even when you live in a small town, there's more sort of wild space around you. But there's still sort of more that desperation to try and be a big city deploying resources as opposed to sort of being we're not you know we owning that and a lot of it has a very do with very legitimate financial reasons mm-hmm. um but I, I don't know i think that's i think that has a large part to do with the fact that you can sort of walk into any room and get a number of people to agree to a number of problems but then not get any of those people to agree to do anything about it mm-hmm. is because there's i think there's even more so than in the u.s there's this sort of sense that we have a ton of time because there's we couldn't possibly have burned through. It's sort of like the, uh, um, and this will be my final thing. I'll pass it back to you. But just all those stories you hear about like lottery winners right. or multiple lottery winners where right. they're now like living on the street right. uh, because, you know, they're, they're, they had so much money they couldn't even foresee the end of that money mm. until they ran out of it. And then they literally didn't have anything left by the time they figured out what had gone on. Mm. Um or, you know, you find people going out and spending, you know, they spent $100 million and then with their last 10000 they went and bought like $100,000 worth of lottery tickets to try and get another. Right. Like, it's just, we just, we've been so ridiculously spoiled. Right. And we don't have any respect for what we have or its value. And we're selling selling things that, you know, our grandmother's antiques without getting them audited. We're just selling them in a, in a yard sale is essentially the equivalent of what we're doing in Alberta. It's it's not even about the, it's not even just about the fact about how damaging to our future it is. It's also like there's even if you wanted to capitalize on that resource, we're doing it stupidly. Right. We're doing it like immature children that just won the lottery and we don't have a damn idea what to do with it. Mm-hmm. And it it makes me cry. It's like watching you know a, a historic building getting paved over for a new bell store or yeah. something. It's just it's heartbreaking. Yeah, it's absolutely heartbreaking because we can't go back. Yeah. Uh, sort of get a you know, sort of no. semi-emotional on a philo- semi-philosophical on, a, on what's supposed to be in sort of an economic sort of topic, but it just breaks my heart, man. Right. Well, it really does. Yeah, and I think there's it's it's and it's that 1950s thinking that has got us here, and that's and that's to bring it all back. That's well, what's what, so funny is that when you say that, like what I think of with 1950s thing is that sort of war mentality that of like hoarding everything. Right. And how that doesn't transfer well, but see, what happened is was, hilarious. Yeah. Like what, what, what happened? <laughs> like, we're talking about cognitive dissonance. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like for me, what I see that, like I understand the 1950s very much as the birth of modern capitalism. Mm-hmm. Basically they, they finished, they finished world war. Neo, neoliberalism. Neo, and... yeah, well, they, yeah. Well, they finished world war two and they were like, man, that really helped our economy having all those people make all those bombs and shit. How can we keep that going? And they were like, I know, shift all the people who are working on bombs, make them make stuff, and then convince people that they all want that stuff. 
It's that kind of it was the birth of all the way all the ways that things don't last any, very long anymore. It's that kind of it's that making stuff to fall apart. It's part of it also is that technology is now harder and harder to make, so it's harder to make it last longer. But the making things as cheap as possible, so you buy as much of it as possible. That entire sort of understanding, I think, really started right after right after World War II. Uh, so when I say 1950s, that's what I that's what I sort of mean. Yeah. Um, and of course, neoliberalism was a little bit later, but yeah. it's all part of the same. It's all same part of the same idea, exactly. Yeah, and like I can even reference back to this hilarious video that I watched in I think it was the '60s or '70s. Well, I, I was it was from the '60s or '70s. I watched it a couple years ago because I'm not that old. Uh, I'm part of Generation Screwed, as we discussed earlier. But the video was a some from the Ontario Power Authority, and they basically early on realized that they had too much power, and so this video was all about trying to convince people to electrify as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Like, make everything electric. Like, basically, there was, it was these ads that were sponsored by the government saying, use a ton of energy because we have it and we want to sell it to you. And it's that idea, and, and which, which I think, which has, at least in the energy field, has now sort of, we're seeing a, a shift of that. Now it's going back to sort of conserve because... Ontario government needs us to conserve to be able to meet their their standards and how much money they want to charge for us, for us for different things and keep our energy bills basically the same. But that idea hasn't the idea of conservation hasn't gone to anything else. They're still buy all of these toys. They still buy all of the cell phones. They still buy all of the everything else. H and M is still a huge thing. Like I'm wearing an H M shirt. You can't see it, but I'm wearing one. But they're one of the highest crimes in disposable fashion uh, that exists out there. It's the same idea of buy more things being an actual call people make. To sort of wrap this up, I'm going to give a quick sort of pitch of why I don't think we should be consider ourselves Generation Screwed and why I think we should be much more consider ourselves if it's something else, and I'll throw it back to you for some final thoughts and then wrap this whole thing up. But my number one issue with Generation Screwed well, is that it's defeatist. And that it's defeatist in a way that I don't appreciate. Because it's a defeatist in a way that sort of says, well, this is how, this is how to judge your life. This is how we're judging your lives. Uh, too bad that's not what you get anymore. You're all fucked. Mm -hmm. And what I, what I see it as is this generation is the first, is one of the first generations that's coming to forefront of our old model is not effective. You're the, we're the first one, we're the first casualties of the old model, basically. We got, if we accept we're screwed and just try to get by, we're, we'll only dig ourselves deeper. What we have to understand, understand ourselves as is the generation of change. We're the generation that has to stand up and be like, no, I understand that I'm 28 with some student debt still and living with my parents, but I can make a good life. I can have a good life, a sustainable life in a city, most likely, um, or local farming, sort of stuff like that. Like, you can live in downtown Toronto, and you and I currently are basically living this experiment right now. Mm-hmm. You can live a life in downtown Toronto on a pittance if you really extort the resources that we have and the groups and the people who are out to make these kind of things happen. Mm-hmm. If you work with the tool library, there's a $50 for any tool you'll ever need. Fantastic. I can now build stuff that I need. There are all these food co-ops, which if you join, you get all of this fresh food from local farms. 
there are all these rising small, small scale things. And like solar power, small wind generation, it needs an upfront cost, but there are more and more ways of sort of getting into that, which then you have things that actually make you money without you doing anything. There's all of these new tools to sort of take over this top-damn consumerist model we see that, that, that has been hammering us for the last 60 years and change what our actual realization is and what we, the life we actually live today. You're laughing at me, but there really is. I'm not, I'm not laughing at you. Let me entirely all right, finish. All right. Um, <laughs> but they're really, this is, this is actually what I think people have to realize is if you're in your 20s and you think you're screwed because of the way society's working then, your solution isn't, well, I better find the best way to extort the society we live in now. It's let's go change the society. Let's go out there, let's support the groups that are really saying, let's get around this sort of system and Well the thing is that people don't think they can. And we're telling you right now it's a lie, you can't. Yes. You can subside yourself for a while to to be a part of the change that you then will reap the rewards of in your lifetime. Mm -hmm. If you're gonna be living in your parents' basement till you're thirty anyway, use twenty from thirty to be a fucking activist. Yeah. And then get your job. But don't just lay down and let the system run you over because it's not it. like a lot of the things is that like it's it's people like oh well you know you can't you know it's it's like it's like when people will come in and they're like oh vote for the the communist party I'm like get the fuck out of here man like don't <laughs> like it's not even about whether or not I agree with your your opinions and I and I largely don't but even if I did it's like you don't that you haven't you don't have any realistic chance of ever enacting what you're proposing. Mm. This, I think, feels a lot like that to people, but yeah. it's not true because like what we're identifying is, is that a lot of this is just people, older people telling younger people, you've got it really bad compared to what I had, so you're going to have to work even harder to get what I have. Mm. And there's so many bad assumptions. So it's sort of my fi- final closing comment. I'm going to run through some of the stats from the beginning. Right. Average age of getting married is getting older. All of these things were given as implications. Literally, listen to Peter Mansbridge's mm-hmm. voice. All of this was implied as problems. Yeah. People are waiting letter, uh, waiting till later to get married. Well, I don't want to fucking get married. <laughs> maybe there's, maybe it was the other way around. The right. impetus was to put pressure on people to get married, and now we're experiencing more societal freedom. Mm-hmm. That's a good thing. So fuck you, Peter Mansbridge, even though I love you and you're one of my heroes. <laughs> on this, you're dead wrong. Right. Dead wrong. Uh... Average age of leaving parents' house. Again, societal expectations. The whole thing about living in your parents' basement was associated with people who were loners, losers, mm-hmm. antisocial. It's now a financial reality. But you know what? There's nothing fucking wrong with that. Well, St- no. I thought you were all about family values. People are staying at home with their parents to build a better future. That helps families too. Yeah. So you know what? Screw that point too. Average income, uh, average amount of student debt. You know a way to solve that? Not get better jobs by working for the oil industry, but let's reduce student costs. So fuck you. That's wrong. Every single point in there that he brought up is misinterpreted, and it's not misinterpreted because someone's trying to lie to you. Mm. It's misinterpreted because that's how it looks to that generation. Mm. And instead of receiving that message and going, oh shit, I guess I'm doing something wrong, you turn around and say, no, I don't want those things. I want this. Help me get that. Because I think there's a lot of people like Peter Mansbridge. I mean, he's just sort of the person giving the, the news report here, so I don't put anything personally on him, but as part of the media where they're constantly telling us, you've got it so bad, we let us help you. Yeah. And nobody ever stops and says, I don't fucking want any of that shit. Yeah. If you want to help me, help me with what I want. But I don't care about that. I, I, I'm not sad that I'm not married by 30. Mm. I'm not sad that, I, I mean, I don't. I moved out when I was very young. But, like, people aren't upset and depressed about the fact that they have to be at home. That's simply their reality. Mm. Help them use that to create something. But it's not going to be what you keep telling them that it is. Yeah. 
Well, and some of them drink the Kool Aid and spend the rest of their tries, uh, spend the rest of their lives trying to chase a dream that doesn't exist anymore. And the rest of us realize I don't want that anyway. But the system isn't set up to allow me to get what I do want, so I get locked into this. So the problem of being locked in and low income and, and not having access to services and desperately trying to pay your rent has nothing to do with your income. It has to do with the fact that the system is set up to fuck you. And we need to change the system so that it doesn't fuck you anymore. Yeah. Right? The rich are getting richer. They have tons of money. You want to lower transit costs? Tax the fucking rich. <laughs> Not go work in Alberta. Tax the fucking rich. They're getting richer. Let's even them out. It's that simple. But people are looking for solutions in the wrong places. And all of these assumptions, all of this messaging about how we desperately need more money, make more jobs, 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 jobs. Fuck you. How about lower the standard cost of living? Does the same thing, doesn't it? Let's talk about that. Let's talk about other places to get jobs. But it's it, it, this, and the reason I love that it was my hero, one of my heroes, Peter Mansbridge, saying this because he's dead fucking wrong on this, and and I, I like the fact that it's like this isn't about politics. This is just about the older generation is still in 1950s as you identified it, and they're consistently trying to say you have it so bad because you don't have what I have. Well, you know what? Fuck you! What I don't want what you have, I want better. But better doesn't look to me like it looks to you. So why don't you fucking ask me what I want rather than shoving it down my throat? That would be, that's my major thing is that, as you were saying, we're not nearly as poor and bad off as people keep telling us that we are. Yeah. We have the things that we want. I'm happy with what I have. There are other things that I want, but if I was going to get anything I don't currently have, it's none of the things that any of these people are telling me I should have. Yeah. And, and that's what has to change. Yeah. Help us get what we actually want. Help us help you. <laughs> and, but you can help us, you can help us get what we want. It's that if you stop putting all your energy into things we don't actually want. Yeah. I, don't, I think it's a, it's a major travesty. Like what you're saying, like you can survive on far less money in downtown Toronto. People say, oh, I don't want to live in downtown Toronto. It's so expensive. Well, it depends on what your expectations are. Yeah, if you if you like living in a really fancy three-story house, then getting for the exact same money of owning a three-story house as getting renting an apartment in Toronto is expensive. Sure, but what do you get for that? And people's values are different, and it just hasn't done, and it's... And it's a, it's a, it's an anchor being let out as the ship's trying to move that's just dragging the whole damn thing down. We need to turn around loudly and say to the generation ahead of us, if you want to, again, I hate that language, but if it's going to be phrased that way, turn around and say, hey, I don't want that. Here's what I want. Help me get this. Yeah. And, <clears throat> sorry, that went on far too no, long, no, that was, but it's, that was, that was it's very excited about it. I get it. That was, that was fantastic. <laughs> the one final example of exactly what you're talking about, which I think is interesting and, and one is sort of things that sort of pushes people in literally this sort of exact negative sort of way is car ownership. Uh-huh. Here is car ownership. The idea that you have to become 20 and buy your first car, or the idea of your first car, and that sort of freedom that they sort of used to represent, and that whole, that whole thing. Sorry, yesterday somebody was taking pity on me saying, hopefully one day my company will be so successful that I, that we'll be able to get a car. I don't want to fucking, I don't have a driver's license because I don't fucking want one. And this is someone in the environment community, and it's just because they're, they're older, and they, they take it as accepted. Mm. If you have money, you have a car. Mm. I don't want one. The idea that, like, I understand, like, there's a va- some people want a car, some people need a car, but the idea that you sort of have to have a car is because society was built in a way that forces you to need a car. I'd rather live in a society where I don't need that Nobody car. needs a car. Everybody needs transportation. Right. And how we get that transportation is the real conversation. Yeah. And that's what's wrong with this whole message yeah. is that they don't see a difference between, for them, car is transportation. Mm-hmm. That is, it's not only is that not the way we should be thinking about it, it's just factually not true anymore. Yeah. It just isn't how our society is set up anymore. But yet that's still how that issue is discussed. And so that's where I'll still get people who are career environmental activists who I agree with on almost everything who still say things to me like that. Like, oh, one day you'll have enough money to have mm-hmm. a car. 
I don't fucking want one. You can buy me one right now. I'll give it back to you. Or I'll probably, more likely, honestly, I'll try and get the cash equivalent. But it's like, it's like, there's just, is a different planet. And, Mm. and it's up to us to stop saying to people the next time someone says something about Odrin or Shwaj, say, you know what? I'm damn happy. I'd rather be where I am than where you Mm. are. This is what I want. Stop letting people tell you that we've got it so shitty. You know what? We've got it pretty damn fucking good here in Canada. Yeah. Stop complaining. Yeah. And and I want to, See, there's so much more on this topic I want to I, I want to get into, but I want to leave. But I really we're running out of time, obviously, at this point. So I'm really going to give us the last us. One, the people who think that our generation is spoiled are a set of people who don't understand how it works. Basically, the people who are complaining that our generation are screwed, who is in our generation, are the people who have bought on to the idea that the only way to live is in this past way. Mm-hmm. And the idea that you have to spend $26,000 for a car, which as soon as you drive off the lot becomes $13,000 of, wor- of worth to you, and then degrades from there, is insane. And all of this comes down to the idea that, but all of it is passed down from what other people understood from previous generations and how previous generations' decisions made for what it is now. And what I want to do with this generation I would, and what we need to do to sort of really bring this all back is to not give the next generation the same hang-ups that were sort of are being passed down to us. Let the next generation really take hold of what we're able to start doing now and let them actually soar rather than drown. As, as long as we on the, agree on uh, on the general principles that sort of we should leave the earth in a better place than we got it, and definitely mm-hmm. better than the place that it is now, whatever the generation behind me, whatever people younger than me want mm-hmm. that is in furtherance of that goal, it is our responsibility to support them in that because it's their planet. Yeah. Right, and it's the people before them and the people before them. That is not currently being done for us by that generation above us. They have taken uh, the, the baby boomers and and everything above have taken this sort of like nanny state attitude towards everybody younger than them and whether they're environmentalists or not they know it's better for us well you know what they're dead fucking wrong mm-hmm. sorry guys you need to get on board with what we're talking about not us get on board with you because you're out of touch you don't have the best information and you don't know what the people you're trying to help want and that guarantees your failure mm-hmm. okay so we've just spent the last 50 minutes ranting at you on a variety of topics but i think we actually a very good job staying on topic this time yeah, so I, I was also going to say that I frequently when we're starting I'm not sure that we have an hour's worth of stuff to talk yeah, about and, and then, then we just, always run out of yeah, time exactly but I think we actually <laughs> stayed pretty well on topic this time so if you have any thoughts about uh, the generation screwed generation underwater generation X Y baby boomers whatever actually that's going to be a new twitter tag thing if we can start making that popular generation I like hashtag underwater. twitter a generation underwater <laughs> yeah. yeah that's a new right, that's we'll, a like, I right, like we'll that. start that one for, right now you guys hear her here first but please, please leave us any note uh, of information. Darren, thanks again for joining me, as always. Next week, we do have Power Bar on, and this is the Mighty Rhino with Company Policy to play us at. Yeah, let me just try to speak on this. Oh, don't you know? It's company policy, baby. It's company policy, baby. Just the way I've learned to love It's company policy, baby It's the way I make my peace It's in my It's soul. as if somebody bottled the sun Only way I can possibly sum up What I thought we'd become And we was awfully young So it was probably dumb But Lord knows We had ourselves an astonishing run Wasn't just erotic to lust We was longing for love And we was real Cause honesty is as honesty does Remember that first day Just talking from dawn to the dust Barely let go of you long enough To get onto the bus 
Them eyes you got, lady, with that gaze you can hold Wasn't nothing quite like it on the face of the globe I remember, I used to sit and watch you play with my baby niece Gaze at you in my bed as you lay asleep Sun poking through the blinds of dawn Jealous, like it's nothing he'd rather shine upon The moments brought me closer to transcendence than I'd ever been So that's something I still revel in You know, oh, don't you know It's company policy, baby It's company policy, baby Just the way I've learned to love It's company policy, baby It's the way I make my peace, it's in my soul Got a lot of my dogs thinking I'm strange This girl left you, why you got a song singing a praise? Why you ain't living with rage, cussing her out? Tell them cause that ain't actually what loving's about Sometimes I want to attack and be savagely cruel But my heart doesn't have the capacity to And you did what yours asked you to do So how I'm gonna be mad cause we can't rekindle the thing that we had Sometimes I think you wish I thought you was a raggedy bitch Just so you would have felt better about having a split That's the glorious part Cause it probably could have torn me apart So I just wasn't born with that sort of heart Yeah my honey dove, now nah, that'll be what it be Love ain't something that dies, girl, leaves you me Still care about you, even through distress and regrets Cause a life without love is no better than death Oh, don't you know It's company policy, baby It's company policy, baby Just the way I've learned to love It's company policy, baby It's the way I make my peace, it's in my soul Certain joys few and I get at the thought of you Couldn't destroy or steal a record if you wanted to Probably do, at least if you're still sipping on that bitter broth You brew, knocked it through your conscience to skew Something I can't figure how to parse You let me come and help recover your love itself Then you kick me out your heart Maybe it's crazy to say it I wouldn't even say Nathan to brace it if I had the patience for hatred Cause girl, you better listen You're one of the most beautiful poems That the blessed eternal has ever written I know you think it's better to reject the praise But you'll go to your grave Somebody I treasure and respect Even if we never speak again I hope you live a life you can find In a light and pleasure and freedom in Blessings and meaning it. That's how I feel And it's so true That I'm letting my people know too Oh, don't you know It's company policy, baby It's company policy, baby Just the way I've learned to love It's company policy, baby It's the way I make my peace It's in my soul Oh, don't you know Company policy, baby It's company policy, baby Just the way I've learned to love It's company policy, baby It's the way I make my peace, it's in my soul